Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 19th May 2023. This is Ian Haydock. This time, US FTC takes action on Amgen's Horizon deal. Hassan and Jimenez share their CEO experiences. Novartis lays out Cosentix plans. A generally strong fiscal year for Japan's pharma firms and new Tigriso data lift AstraZeneca. The US Federal Trade Commission is taking its fight against rebating and bundling practices that pharmaceutical companies employ in negotiations with payers to court, but not by suing to stop these tactics directly. Instead, the FTC said on 16th May that it's filing a lawsuit to block Amgen's $28 billion purchase of Horizon Therapeutics, to prevent the acquirer from obtaining greater power to block competition through drug price rebates it promises to pharmacy benefit managers. The FTC did not point to any overlap in the two companies' product portfolios or research and development pipelines, the usual grounds for the agency to object to a biopharmaceutical industry transaction, Mandate Action rights. Instead, the FTC said it's seeking to block Amgen from leveraging its portfolio of blockbuster drugs to entrench the monopoly positions of Horizon medications used to treat two serious conditions, thyroid eye disease and chronic refractory gout. Horizon's biggest sellers are the thyroid eye disease drug Tepeza and Cristexa for gout, which generated $1.97 billion and $716.2 million in 2022 sales respectively. As of late April, Amgen expected to close its acquisition of the company in June. Amgen said in a same-day statement following the FTC's announcement that it's seeking to block the deal, that the company firmly believes in the benefits of this acquisition and intend to work with the court on a schedule that would allow the transaction to close by mid-December. The FTC noted in its statement about the lawsuit to block the Amgen Horizon transaction that the action dovetails with the agency's other actions related to pharma and PBM drug pricing and reimbursement negotiations. The FTC said in a policy statement in June 2022 that these financial relationships create conflicts of interest, shift costs and misalign incentives in ways that stifle competition and harm patients and the healthcare system, and it launched an investigation of PBM practices. The FTC cited rampant consolidation in the pharmaceutical industry that it says has allowed drug makers to exorbitantly hike prescription drug prices, deny patients access to more affordable generics, and hamstring innovation in life-saving markets. But while the agency said both Depeza and Christexa do not have competing therapies on the market in the US, that is true for Depeza and not for Christexa, which competes with multiple approved products such as Takeda's Colchris and the Japanese farmer's now generic Uloric. Also, there are 10 gout drugs in clinical development, including three in phase three trials, according to Sightline's Biomed Tracker, and there are seven drugs in clinical development for TED, including two in phase three. Amgen said it's disappointed by the FTC decision to block its acquisition of Horizon a transaction that the company said would impact patients who suffer from severe disease in the US and globally.
Over the course of the next six years, 33 of the biggest selling therapies are going to lose exclusivity, with Bristol-Myers Squibb set to be one of the worst hit firms, losing exclusivity for three commercial blockbusters this decade, Eliquis, Brevlimid and Opadivo. Part of the preparation for this new chapter is the retirement of CEO Giovanni Caforio, as he passes the leadership baton to Chief Commercialisation Officer Chris Berner. Scripps' Joe Shorthouse spoke to two veteran Big Pharma leaders about how they stepped up to the top job at a time when their companies also faced significant loss of exclusivity for key products. Berner's circumstances are reminiscent of those of Joe Jimenez, who was appointed CEO of Novartis in 2010. By then, Jimenez had worked with the Basel-based major for three years as head of its pharma division, as the company was readying itself for the patent expiry of the antihypertensive Diovan, a blockbuster for more than a decade. When he joined Novartis from his role as Heinz's head of America, the pharma market was rapidly changing, both on a regulatory and commercial basis. People that had been in the industry for a long time didn't believe those changes were permanent, said Jimenez. Novartis wanted somebody with a fresh look. Fast-moving consumer goods, which was the area that he came from, is all about looking at the external environment, the way things are changing, and then adjusting your business to take advantage of those changes, he explained. While Jimenez had the luxury of a five-year ramp-up to revenue erosion, Fred Hassan did not have that benefit when he took on the job of turning around Shearing Plough in 2003, very shortly after it had lost the US patent on Claritin, a drug that netted the company $3.4 billion in 2002. Not only had the company lost exclusivity for its biggest earner, but it was also mired in liquidity issues and systemic problems that caused difficulties in its R&D, manufacturing and legal departments. Despite having the vice chairman role at Pfizer waiting for him, Hassan decided the shearing plough job was the more interesting prospect, he told Scrip. The first thing he did was create a consumer health department for Claritin and brought in Stan Barche, an OTC marketing guru, and the man responsible for bringing Advil into the US. He then went to work filling in the gaps that the antihistamine left behind. Faced with the reality of the patent cliff in five years, Himenef mobilised his group. He created teams within the company and gave them three months to formulate revenue-building ideas that could allow Novartis to pass through the period without any sales decline. They had a two-day off-site meeting where the teams rotated in and presented ideas that could deliver $500 million or $1 billion in sales. My executive team and I watched the 25 teams present and then we settled on three big ideas to offset the patent expiration, he said. These were higher development spending on internal assets, M&A and licensing, and geographical expansion. For his part, Hassan embarked on a mix of symbolic and substantive cost-cutting. There was a constant focus on reducing excess where necessary, especially general and administrative spending. But we tried to protect the revenue-driving functions as much as possible, and the R&D, he explained. He also started a spans and layers exercise, a typical way of finding 20% in cost cuts in GNA spending by reducing the number of layers from the CEO to the front lines. 
The two executives talk in detail about other cost-cutting and long-game strategies in the feature-length article, so do check it out in full for all of their insights. With new indications set to roll out for mega-blockbuster Cosentix, Marie-France Sujin, who's president of Novartis's Innovative Medicines International Operations and Chief Commercial Officer, has outlined the company's lifecycle management plans and the importance the Swiss major is placing on immunology to script. About 4.5% of the global population is affected by immunological diseases, and since we've really transformed our company, this is one of the areas where we've decided that we want to go deep in, she told Kevin Grogan. Immunology is one of Novartis's five core therapeutic areas of focus, along with oncology, hematology, neuroscience and cardiology. The franchise's flagship product in the space is Cosentix, which is approved for psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, two types of spondyloarthritis and two childhood arthritic conditions. It's been a major growth driver for Novartis since its first approval in 2015, but is facing a very competitive environment, particularly in psoriasis. Students said we are really vested in life cycle management, which not all companies have done. Our strategy for Cosentix has been to bring this medicine to other patients in disease areas that have been a little bit neglected. And of course, hydrodenitis, superativa, or HS, is one of these. A couple of weeks ago, Novartis received a positive opinion in the EU for Cosentix, moving it a step forward to becoming the first new HS treatment in nearly a decade, after AbbVie's Humira eight years ago. A decision from the US FDA is expected later this year in the indication. Novartis will now have to tackle the tortuous reimbursement pathways across the EU, but Sudin is confident of success despite the challenges of getting access in a continent that has been declared as innovation unfriendly by a number of big pharma C-suite leaders of late. However, Novartis is not the only company advancing a biologic that targets IL-17 in a bid to treat the more than 60% of HS patients who remain uncontrolled on Humira and its biosimilars. Two dual IL-17A, IL-17F inhibitors, UCP's Bilmzelks, which is in Phase 3, and Moonlake Immunotherapeutics, Sonolokimab, in Phase 2, have also impressed in trials while Acelerin's IL-17A inhibitor, Izokibep, licensed from Sweden's Afibody, is in Phase 2b-3 trials for HS. Major Japanese firms, including Astellas, Shionogi and Daiichi Sankyo, showed generally solid results in the fiscal year ended 31st March, as did Chugai in its first quarter although the figures saw ongoing impact from 4x on both sales, in a positive sense, and on costs, in a negative sense, Lisa Takagi writes. Astellas found hope from oncology drug Padsef as its next key driver as the patent expiration for its blockbuster prostate cancer drug Extandi approaches, while Shionogi marked record high revenue due to a roughly $736 million purchase by the Japanese government of its COVID-19 antiviral Zakova. Meanwhile, Daiichi Sankyo's NHER2 continued to show strong growth globally, especially in the US and Europe, while Takeda also logged record revenues and core operating profit, 
but expects generic headwinds this year. With its first COVID-19 therapeutic in the form of Zocova now launched, Shionogi's annual revenue for the fiscal year marked a record high of 426.7 billion Japanese yen, with 27% growth from last year, with the Japanese government's purchase contributing to the performance. For fiscal 2023, Shionogi forecasts its revenue will reach 450 billion yen, helped by Zocova and its recombinant vaccine candidate S268019, which is in its first approval process in Japan and is expected to generate 105 billion yen, although it also expects Zocova demand to settle down. Holding out hope for its new Alzheimer's disease drug Lakembi, Azai marked a slight decrease in its annual revenue at 744.4 billion yen, around minus 2%, and is forecasting annual revenue for fiscal 2023 of 712 billion yen, a fall of 4%. There could be impact from the expiration of a Japan development and marketing agreement for Aviz Humara in June, decreased upfront payments from several deals, and a weaker 4x rate for the yen. Finally, AstraZeneca's aim of securing the market-leading position of its biggest seller to Grisso has received a major boost with the release of late-stage data demonstrating the additional benefit of combining the drug with chemotherapy for lung cancer patients. The UK major has announced positive high-level results from the FLORA 2 Phase 3 trial, which showed Tigriso in combination with Pemetrexed and either Cisplatin or Carboplatin demonstrated a significant improvement in progression-free survival compared to Tigriso alone. For patients with locally advanced or metastatic epidermal growth factor receptor mutated non-small cell lung cancer, Kevin Grogan writes. Up to 10 to 15% of patients with NSCLC in the US and Europe and 30 to 40% of patients in Asia have EGFRM NSCLC. It's therefore a big market and Tegrissa has enjoyed considerable success, with sales hitting $5.44 billion in 2022. Depending on the extent of the benefits seen when adding chemotherapy, some observers believe the combo could become a new standard of care and drive sales of the drug even higher. JP Morgan analysts believe the Flora 2 combo will likely be used in patients with high disease burden, risk factors, that would benefit from a more rapid response to treatment, rather than entirely replacing Tegriso monotherapy, unless the subsequent OS readout is particularly strong, in which case there might be wider uptake. They added that Flora 2 will sustain Tegriso peak sales of at least $7.3 billion in 2028, broadly in line with consensus of $7.7 billion, even with some competition. Some of that competition has been expected to come from Johnson & Johnson's bispecific EGFR MET-targeting antibody, Ribrevant, which was granted accelerated approval by the US FDA in 2021 after platinum-based chemotherapy for advanced or metastatic NSCLC with EGFR exon 20 mutations, a subset with a generally worse prognosis for whom Tegriso is not approved. In addition to Flora 2, AstraZeneca has several ongoing Phase 3 trials focused on expanding Tegriso's use into earlier stages of lung cancer, 
including the neoadjuvant resectable setting, the stage IA2, IA3 adjuvant resectable setting, and in the stage 3 locally advanced unresectable setting. That's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. And a reminder, as always, that the stories mentioned here are linked in the article accompanying this podcast, which is linked below in the description. Log in to access all of the much more extensive content from our global team, or sign up for a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.